This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Welcome back into Film Tank. My name is Alex Diekman, sitting along with my usual co-host, Nick Cheney. Oh, hope I can still get up this high. Hello. <laughs> also with us, a very regular contributor, Anna Bodizadu. Hello. 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 How's Hello. it going? It's going good. How about you guys? Going pretty good as well. Wonderful. Excited to be here in person. For the last time ever, <laughs> as COVID rages on. I was going right. to say post uh, post 2020 election. That's I know. Cool. Yeah, this is the That's first cool. uh, episode we are recording. Um, post. Yeah. It's not true, technically. It's Let's well, po- post the... Post projected winner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, is, that is true. Okay. Um, Our moods are much different this time around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I still one day want to do an episode on the movie Game Change, which I was adamantly wanting to do an episode on right after the 2016 election, and then the mood changed a bit, and Mm. nobody wanted to do an episode on it anymore. Mm. So, maybe someday. One day. Yeah. Anyways. Let's see if there's a transition of power, (laughs) and then uh, we can do Game Change. Yeah. And it's it's good, because that movie is all about legal votes, so. Well, those don't happen. Oh, it's only the illegal votes, at least oh. from the one side. Yeah. We need to toss those. Anyways, moving on. Uh, we're not talking about game change or the election. Well, maybe we'll talk about it at some point on this episode. But the film we are going to be discussing is the 1998 Vincent Gallo film, Buffalo 66. Uh, this is written, directed, and stars Vincent Gallo playing the role of Billy Brown. Also features Christina Ricci uh, as the character Layla. Um, she goes also in the movie by the name Wendy uh, multiple times. And this features some other people coming and going throughout the film in smaller roles, including including pardon me, Ben Gazzara, Angelica Houston. Also um, featured are Roseanne Arquette, Mickey Rourke, and why am I? Uh, Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Yep. That's the other person I was thinking of. So, uh, this film surrounds, um, again, Vincent Gallo. After being released from prison, Billy, played by Vincent Gallo, is set to visit his parents with his wife, whom he does not actually have. (laughs) That's a good start. This provokes Billy to act out. This (laughs) This is great. As he kidnaps a girl and forces her to act as his wife for the visit. 
I feel like that's the first 30 minutes. So True. Yeah. Anyways. Also, acting out. So like Billy, that's one way to put it. Billy makes a widow mistake. <laughs> He's in search of a urinal for the entire film. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, you suggested this film. So, why don't you tell us your thoughts about Buffalo 66 and also what inspired you to suggest this as a film for us to do an episode on. Thank you. Uh, well, I'll start with what inspired me. When we were planning this week's uh, you know, movie, mm-hmm. um, I felt like I hadn't chosen something in a while. Not in a whatever, but I was like, oh, you know what? I should do one of my random curveballs. And actually what inspired me was I didn't think we were going to be watching this together in person. So I chose whatever I could find that was on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I mean, a movie that I loved, but but there okay. were like a few others that I was like, oh. But then when you agreed to it, I, then I got really into it. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's watch Buffalo 66. Uh, I love this movie. I... <laughs> It's a weird movie to watch, uh, especially 22 years later, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, it's it's abrasive. Vincent Gallo in the movie and outside of the movie is a horrible person. Uh, just the biggest pretentious prick uh, <laughs> you can conceive on this kind of indie stage. Um, and I think that's what makes me like it, not because of that, but in spite of it. It's it's almost like alchemy, because everything tells me I should basically hate this by virtue of what it is and what it uh, kind of purports, but I can't quite bring myself to fall in line with that. And maybe, uh, you know, it's the romantic in me or whatever, but... I find this kind of odyssey into Love Conquers All to be weirdly touching by the end. Um, If it doesn't work for any person on this earth, that is completely understandable to me. This is not like a movie that I would like be like, no, no, you know, if you rewatch it, you'll understand why Billy's misunderstood or, you know, whatever. It's not that. I mean, I do have some thoughts on Billy and how obviously, you know, his upbringing or whatever can affect and nature versus nurture his, you know, behaviors and whatnot, but it's still never excusable as to like how he acts or whatever. But I think what I like about it, and if anything really love, is that I don't see this as a literal film. This is a fantasy from start to finish for me. Um, uh, I think this is quite literally, you know, a portrait of self-loathing and, the way in which that kind of is what starts out as an external thing where you feel that nobody loves you. So then, of course, you join that chorus, turns into more of an internal thing where you realize that the external factors actually don't matter and it's your choice that matters most because it's your uh, philosophy and it's your uh, perspective on life and on love that is actually dictating your own happiness, your own uh, life, and you know your own behaviors. And um, no matter how despicable Billy is, which he for sure is throughout the whole movie, um, I think it's a poignant message all the same and it's something that really resonated with me the very first time I watched it, and certainly upon rewatching it. I think Christina Ritchie in this is fantastic because even though I do think 
she understandably is leaning into the um, manic pixie dream girl image of who Layla is to Billy's character. I still think she plays it weirdly cool enough where she has enough agency, at least in her performance, where when she starts to say things toward the very end, I think up until about the last half hour, it's all performative. You know, it's all kind of under duress, even when she starts to let her guard down. But when she starts to say things like, I like you, you know, you still get the sense that it's maybe just her trying to appease him or whatever. But somehow her performance, for me at least, sells the sudden shift, particularly from the motel on, of like, no matter how much of an asshole you are, I kind of understand why it happened, and I don't think that this has to be a permanent state of being, and because nobody else has said this before, I'll say it, which is, you know, that I love you and that you are worthy of affection and of, you know, yeah. good things. I will say, in a, in a weird way, um, this film kind of follows... Um, uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol in uh, in, yeah. in in a way uh, not obviously exactly because we don't see this hero's journey yeah. with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge but you know it is starting back at the beginning pretty much and going through and then almost a complete 180 at the very end whereas you don't see that much gained from the character throughout the film and then all of a sudden they have this epiphany yeah. towards the end and it's like I love everybody here I'm gonna buy you a cookie oh yeah um, and just like with uh, Christmas Carol it's nice to think that it's gonna last but really it's probably gonna end the next day yeah and I think that's kind of ultimately what I like about the ending because I don't necessarily care to think about whether it's real, whether it's fake, whether it's going to be a permanent change, whether it's a whatever. What's what's weird is, at least for me, the power of that final scene, mm. which is that after seeing a person uh, continually not live up to his parents' expectations, uh, the law's expectation, because we do actually find out that he was innocent, uh, technically speaking, of what you know he went he was incarcerated for, and and how he is not this weird. Uh, conflation of coincidences, i.e. being that he was born on the day that Scott Woods mixed, missed the kick. No, well, from at least from what I gather from this story, he was born on the day that the Bills won the Super Bowl, and that was the mother's reason why she hated him, because she wasn't able to watch the game? No, it was because she never missed a game, I thought. Well, no. Oh. She said the last time she missed a game was when the Bills won the Super Bowl oh, that's right, right, in 1966. Um, and that's why she hates him, because she missed the game when they won everything, and she's such a devoted fan and whatever. That whole storyline was very What's bizarre. confusing about it, and I think it actually kind of adds to the weird dreamlike nature of it, is that the clip that she's watching, or not the clip, but the recorded game, is the game where Scott Woods missed the field goal. Mm -hmm. uh, so it gets slightly confusing, at least upon a first or second time, whatever. Yeah, it's all colliding a yes. little too cleanly together. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. yes. But the idea that, you know, these events that have nothing to do with him, that have nothing to do with his own mother, you know what I mean, uh, kind of converge and somehow 
created this path for him to just have an unhappy life and how he realizes at the very end uh, upon about to make you know his fatal decision both uh, against another person but also against himself uh, that it doesn't have to be that way um, it, I don't know I find it very touching I pretty much kind of am very charitable I mean put the whole romance storyline aside I've, I'm pretty charitable towards any movie with suicidal characters who realize that maybe, you know, learning to live with yourself can be the most empowering thing yeah. uh, instead of letting other people, you know, take that away from you and and shit all over your existence. So um, it, it's kind of a rebuke to something like Taxi Driver because mm-hmm. in that movie, which there's a lot of external factors in there too as far as why Travis Pickle is disturbed, but when Travis Bickle goes to make his last stand and kills the pimps and drug dealers and whatnot, and it be- devolves into this fantasy, I kind of like that Vincent Gallo takes one of the most celebrated film endings of all time and says, that's, like, besides the fact that it was uh, a fantasy in that movie, it's it's a literal fantasy here where it's like, that's not how life works, and you know what? we're all better off if we just go out and buy that hot chocolate instead of trying to dwell on whatever shit that happened, you know, years prior. So I do like um, your theory of this being a fantasy and, and your view of it being a fantasy, mostly because I feel like the way that we see the other characters in the film, other than Christina Ricci's character, um, we see them as if they were still in his childhood. Yeah. Um, you see, Kevin, oh, he's Ke- hasn't grown since. I think that's why he puts that picture up on the very first frame of the movie. Yeah, is him as age nine with his dog. Mm-hmm. But I genuinely think it's from that moment, and maybe even from the moment concerning his dog, that he has never like grown past. But we, but we see literally in the film that Kevin Corrigan still has a room of. A child, basically, and they're making it, you know, trying to painfully say that he obviously has some sort of a learning disability or something. But at the same time, he still has his room set up as if someone who, you know, that kind of age would have. His parents are still the exact same as they were when he left the house or when he was a child. Um, So that kind of plays, I think, definitely into the fantasy aspect of this. Oh, yeah. So... For sure, no. So I'm, yeah, no. I'm a big fan, and I uh, got a lot of thoughts. But be curious, uh, what you guys thought? Um, I'll go next. That's all right. Yeah. Um, my impressions of this film is that I certainly like didn't love it. Um, most of the moments that I found myself that, that, that that's always a good start. <laughs> I certainly didn't love it. <laughs> Most of the moments that I found myself drawn to were like the more um like visually stylistic moments. So uh Nick, you mentioned the scene where the dad's like lip syncs. Serenade. He was singing <laughs> Anna. Okay, don't take that away from him. I'm sorry. <laughs> ben Gazzara, I apologize. Um yeah, he's, he's gonna Gotta take a long way to hear love, an apology. Oh man, that's still one of the most uncomfortable moments when she asked to hear another song. Yeah, and he's like, no more. <laughs> he's like, I'm hungry. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> also, um, I feel like he probably hasn't worn a real shirt in about 14 years. 
<laughs> like he's been wearing a t-shirt for a long time. It's a weird V-neck. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like showcasing his chest hair. Which, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So that was um like a moment that definitely like going to your uh, theory about this film being a fantasy. That's definitely one of the moments where we see like the spotlight on him and uh, that whole sequence happening. And then also. Another moment in the film that utilizes the spotlight is when Christina Ricci um, tap dances in the bowling alley. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. And I think um, the most enjoyable part of this film to me is basically seeing um, Christina Ricci's character evolve and how she grows through the film. Granted, she got a rough start because she got kidnapped. And then we see Stockholm Syndrome a degree of Stockholm syndrome effectively take place. And then this has been stated previously, but Vincent Gallo really just seems like he sucks. And it's in real life too. Yeah. Also in real life. And unfortunately you do get a vibe that he's effectively playing himself. Um, It's, we see his evolution because effectively it's about him but a lot of I think the best shots have him in it and he did direct it so I'm pretty sure that's on purpose of course um and I think the um the relation to how he is with his family and how he interacts with them and then also with with Goon who I think had my favorite scene in the film um it's just it was um interesting to focus on the dynamic between all of those characters and then also the way um many of the shots were taken here um some of the films that i was drawn to that still stuck with me were like from this era of like i don't know let's say mid-90s to like early 2000s like low budget you see just like someone walking in a street or someone walking in a city and it's like a very minimal type of of cinematography that it's just it really just captures me so um those those are my opening thoughts on the film (laughs) i was gonna say there were actually two um parts of this film that weirdly reminded me of the movie swingers um and that was the sort of I don't want to say cheap, but washed out um, color that we had uh, in both that story and in this one. Um, And then also the way that Vincent Gallo's dialogue in here at so many moments reminded me of the way Vince Vaughn uh, spoke in the movie Swingers, where he's just saying like just this random shit that like he thinks makes him sound cool, but really it just makes him sound stupid yeah he sounds he thinks he's so I'm smart not used to a shifter you know why because i'm used to a luxury car you know what that is a luxury car i do you also ever heard of a cadillac <laughs> i do like when he refers to he refers to the um oh i'm really the curtain no no well that, that that was great but he 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 like constantly refers to things like the ignition as like the thing he's like yeah i'm just trying to put the key into the thing like <laughs> what? it's just it's so bizarre because one it as you were saying he thinks he's so smart and thinks he's so in command and that he knows better i don't think than he you. thinks he's so smart i think the whole movie and him is basically knowing he's none of these things because he's been told he's none of these things and then overcompensating for all of them that's correct At least that's, but sorry. which is probably 
really how Vincent Gallo's life is, which is probably why he's a big Trump supporter. Because he's like, look, someone who knows me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, I don't know how um, you two feel about this, but um, if you've ever been spoken to in the manner that Vince Vincent Gallo's character chooses to speak to Christina Ricci's character, it is literally the worst. And um, as un- unfortunately going with her age, like it's speaking from experience all you can really do is just freeze and then hope it eventually just ends i i will say as some as a male watching this movie you know obviously it's a fine line for me to be like i love this movie even if i don't condone his behavior because Mm -hmm. technically speaking i can watch it from a safe space because as a straight white male i've never had this experience whereas even if i i'm sure if every woman basically has been talked to the way Vincent Gallo talks to uh, Layla throughout the entire movie, even without the overt like danger or kidnapping. No, mm-hmm. Like for sure after this film ended and he had to actually find a job or he was going to die because he doesn't have any money. I could totally see Billy becoming a car salesman huh. and continuously asking females who come in asking about cars where their husbands are. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So not to... That condescending bullshit of just not even considering females as humans is just um, fucking gross. Which obviously, I'm guessing Vincent Gallo had a lot of experience with because he was able to write it really well. So, um... Yep, that's that's it. uh, Yeah, I didn't love this movie, (laughs) just like Hannah. Um... I thought this was okay and had some moments that were pretty exceptional. I, too, like Anna, really enjoyed Christina Ricci's um, tap dancing scene in the bowling alley. And I I always appreciate when they're, and Nick, you had alluded to this in the scene um, with the father earlier in the film. I do like when we see the lights go down and a spotlight on one particular character uh, in a film, it, it's 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 you know even though in a and I know Nick, this is another one of your films. It's one of your favorites of all time. But even though it's in a actual um, play within a film, the scene where we see the spotlight on Jason Schwartzman's character at the end of the play in Rushmore, yeah. uh, and he's got that weird like half smarmy smile on his face. I mean, it just it just brings yeah. so much attention to what the character is that you're looking at, even though that's obviously the intent, but yet it still um, brings it to another level because of the elements that can go onto celluloid. So, yeah. Uh, as I said, wasn't a huge fan. Um, for character-wise, as this is obviously a total character study, there's almost no plot to this movie at all. Um, I was so much more interested in Christina Ricci's character of Layla Mostly because um, I actually think she had some value because her character is extremely mysterious. We find out nothing about her. And really, we don't even know if she's being honest about any of the things that have happened. And really, especially considering how willing she is to follow his lead. (laughs) Yeah, which, which, which I think creates a lot of questions about her her past and, and why she is just going along with this and and unfortunately makes me feel like she may have been a victim at some point um or you know almost that's probably 
what she her background may have been written as if she even had a background because Vincent Gallo maybe not didn't even think that far. I kind of doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, I was much more intrigued by her character and also by her performance because I think Christina Ricci. You know, this is close to where her like peak was around this time. Uh, and I think she delivers a very solid performance here. I mean, this movie would be dead on arrival if the person casted as Layla was not good. Like, Vincent Gallo can't carry this movie on his quote-unquote charisma, even though I think he's giving a electric performance, so to speak. But without the right person, I think, at least, in, in the Layla role, it, it it would become unbearable. And I think... Ultimately, that's kind of the central metaphor for their relationship, which yeah. is that, you know, she buy, uh, burns so brightly that she almost overshadows, you know, his uh, myriad of flaws. <laughs> um, and, of course, that's what he sees in her. And Well, that's why he gets so angry when they leave the house and um, his mother and father are both like, oh... Please come we back love anytime. You. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Please come back. We resurrected the dog. Like, <laughs> um, which is it's so oh. funny to see how he reacts because it's such a it's such a normal thing to introduce your wife to your parents and then just treating her like family. Yeah. But like a, a, to him, that was an overreaction, and she did too good. Yeah. It's so funny. Well, and also he didn't a, really have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> But what a great capper, too, though, besides the fact that their lukewarm reaction or even non-existent to him versus hers, whatever. But even after the doors close, then Ben Gazzara goes to his room and Angelica Houston goes to the living room. Like, that is... It's very clear as to why he doesn't know how to find love and where to look for it mm. uh, based on that in and of itself. Um, I'm curious mm. what you guys thought of... The, I guess I would say the ending in general, um, specifically the build-up to the Scott Woods shooting, or lack thereof, depending Mm -hmm. on, I mean, honestly, I've always taken it very literally, which is that he walks in there, he fantasizes about what could happen if he walks out and is a changed person, you know, whatever. I also could see an argument that um, he does all of those things and then now his life in his fantasy head is really beginning and, you know, the perfect whatever. But I'm curious as to what you guys thought about that. Yeah, as with most films, I have a hard time not taking most things at face value. Yeah. Just that's the way my brain usually works when I'm watching a film unless it's overtly clear that it's not that. Yeah. Um so at least on a first time viewing, I took all of this at, at face value, um especially because we see the interesting I think subversion almost of of what you would actually expect. Um, for, from his character because we we do see right before he's going in to have the murder suicide that he believes he's going to uh, commit, he does call his his friend um, and pretty much tell him all of these great things that he's always been his best friend and he's sorry for the way he's treated him. Here's my locker code, which 
most people would watch that and think whatever, but like that's his whole life in that locker. Yeah. So it is actually somewhat of value. And then he comes out, a changed man, and he calls and tells him, forget all that. I hate you. You're a piece of shit, by the way. He doesn't do that. Well, it's pretty close. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll fight you on one thing. Mm. <laughs> pew, pew. No. Uh, which is that I think there's an earnestness to when he calls him back of like, I'm back, baby. But he does seem like he like he... I don't I can't remember if he even calls him goon in that call and if he does he probably does but he doesn't really go after him it's more like hey don't touch my stuff like I you know I've got life yeah, in me. I, I'll just I, say it doesn't seem like a total uh shall we say take back of his actual uh I I, don't know, I, 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 I personally read it as he's learned nothing so. Um, I will say in the second phone call, he doesn't call him goon. Okay. I didn't think so. Yeah, but in the first call, phone call, he certainly does. Oh, he, he does, and yeah. that's when he's really trying not to. But right, still, right, whatever. but he keeps saying it, and he's like, you know, that's who you are, your name is goon, and goon keeps arguing with him, like, no, I go by Rocky now, yeah. you need to listen to me, so... Because hey, hey, Rocky! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, Rocky! Um, <laughs> but in uh, the second phone call, he even, like, almost... Not almost, but he even like hangs that phone call up by saying, "I'll call you soon. We'll get together." Like, you know, the the last time they had talked when they were like fighting, he hung up on him by mm-hmm. saying, "Fuck you," whatever. So I I I think in that phone call now, whether you believe that change will last or not, you know, that's completely whatever. But I think he's a changed man from that point on. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right in the sense that the phone call he makes prior to him walking into the club is kind of the key to the whole thing, which is that. He doesn't have a fantasy and then go through the other end to become a changed person. He doesn't realize that he's already going through this transformation, so to speak, uh, to the point where that's why he makes this phone call that he wouldn't have made, you know, like even like a couple days prior Mm -hmm. because of, well, the person that he met and whatnot. It's very very reminiscent to me of something like uh, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler Mm. uh, saying to, uh, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's goons, (laughs) uh, you know, I have a love in my life, you don't understand what that's like, you know, and how that can basically... quote-unquote, cure a person, even if that's both literally not true, but also, who's to say it can't, you know? But. Yeah. Um, before I give my thoughts on the closing scene, I did want to mention I really liked um, the audience's introduction to Goon. That scene really did make me laugh really hard. $10,000. <laughs> we're... we're um, Billy is... You don't have ten thousand dollars. Would have been great if you said that. When, when Billy is placing the bet up for the uh, for the game um, over the phone, and Billy is like just next to him. Uh, sorry, Goon is next to him, just eating chips, <laughs> and he goes, "Billy, no, that's too much money." <laughs> yep, yeah. it's pretty great. See, if only people who irresponsibly uh, bet on sports had a goon next to them saying, "No, that's too much money." <laughs> well, clearly it didn't help. <laughs> Fortunately, not. He went to prison. <laughs> yeah, but but I will say, um, him going to prison, even though he says. He went to prison for a genuine purpose for himself, which was to save his... I mean, they, they play it as that he's saving his, his family, but it, it's a it's a fine line because there's there's a lot of unsaid in this film of, of what 
actual feelings are happening from uh, Billy's character. And I will say, um, I love the Mickey Rourke scene. I think that's great. I think Mickey Rourke is casted perfectly because this is really his range anyways, mm-hmm. especially in a condensed two and a half minute scene <laughs> where he is not playing like the main character yep. because other than something like the wrestler, him in like past the 1980s trying to play a main character in a film is an absolute fucking disaster usually. I was going to say, him so. doing this for this cameo basically in 98 Great. is like <laughs> one to two years prior for when this would have been bullshit. <laughs> so I'm with you for yeah. sure. Um, well, and that's the thing though. I will say that I, I think the whole thing of him going to prison, I, I think it is pointed that, you know, the bookie... Uh, threatens to kill his family and that's ultimately what one of if not the biggest hang-up billy has which is he grew up in a loveless household and he is still looking for it there instead of a within himself or b in a person that's actually out to give it and i think um you know you can see it in a lot of weird little random details whether after he makes the one um phone call to goon when he's in the parents bedroom or maybe it's a guest bedroom but it's not his mm-hmm. uh after he makes that call and he's so frustrated or whatever he still before he leaves tidies up the bed that he sat mm. on you know and it's like this like he's under the thumb of two people one person who is just overtly mean to him and dismissive being his mother and another person who couldn't really just give a shit about him being his father um and i find that that's what's most poignant about his fantasy when he goes to possibly shoot scott woods he he goes through with this act and the thing he sees most in his future uh uh, past him basically dying is that his parents still don't give a shit his parents wouldn't be aware. That's why he, he sets up Christina Ricci with <laughs> the photos that she's going to send and the cards every year because True. he assumes they just won't even be aware that he was True. he murdered but, the kicker from the Bills. True. <laughs> but the 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 scene in which the parents are sitting at his gravesite and talking and yet she's still fixated on the the you know the, the yeah, football the, she, she's whatnot. watching it on like a portable right. television and, and he's what the father's wanting to leave and go yep. eat like yeah. that's what's like the most emotionally searing film, a scene in the movie for me which is that he finally realizes that even if he goes through with this and corrects what he thinks is some kind of injustice done to him which is not and it's all bullshit that it won't actually fix anything if anything that's almost even more insulting because they'll be the exact same assholes they've always been. And now he's made their life easier. So I do have a legit question about that part of the film at the uh, graveyard. And it is a really, really short scene. It's probably only, what, 15 seconds or something like that. However... I feel like there was a different last name on the gravestone. I don't think that was his. Okay. I, I think yeah, that I was the gravestone the angle, in front of it. Okay. I believe I, my interpretation is that the prop department did not have enough money for a real gravestone. <laughs> so the gravestone that's in the shot is not referencing okay. the grave that they are okay. actually. Th- that's what I wanted to ask because yeah. I wanted to know if that was yeah. something to be read into. But. No, I believe they are just at a... 
maybe even a gravelet. Like maybe I could see his parents not even buying a gravestone. Like if it's cheaper to bury him in there without paying for it, like they would take that option for sure. So yeah, but I'm with you in that the way the kind of tableau of it is there's a gravestone that's kind of like not center, but whatever. But it's I don't think it's related to what they're doing i don't know i kind of because this is something that my brain was just going towards like oh this would be an interesting you know fan theory of him actually being adopted which would be fantastic because if he was adopted and well but 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 just follow me here for a second yeah no i am the the mother blames him for everything during the birth uh, of why she missed the game but if the birth never even took place... Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I actually, to follow you for a second, even if mm-hmm. I don't necessarily subscribe to it, yeah. one thing that does kind of fit in with that is there is the consistent uh, whatever from his point of view of him having to remind her who her son is, whether yeah. it's on the phone call and him saying it's Billy, you know, it's your son. Yeah, or even at the dinner table. At the dinner table, like, oh, yeah, you, I ate chocolate. I don't eat chocolate. I'm allergic. No, you're not. You know, like <laughs> it is literally an existence that she barely, if not carelessly, doesn't care to remember, whereas obviously he lives through it all or whatever. So yeah. um, actually, I'm kind of, it's not something I subscribe to, but yet uh, I'm intrigued. Hmm. Good. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't just immediately no. dismissed out of hand. No. But, um, yeah. And, you know, I'll say one other thing. Part of the reason that I kind of find this to be a fantasy film, besides even the moments where it almost overtly tips its hat, uh, as far as, like, the spotlight scenes and whatever, is, the, I mean, the very first thing you see Billy do after getting released from prison is take a nap on the bench. And from that point on, <laughs> who's to say that this isn't basically his sexual, uh, sexual psycho, psychosexual, I should say, fantasy of what plays out from this point on? Because he's been thinking about having to go see his parents, uh, you know, uh, from the moment before he went into prison and whatnot. Yeah. Um, also, something I wanted to mention... Um... The opening scene reminded me of, a, I mean, plenty of films have started with somebody leaving prison, but I'm also just reminded of the films where when somebody leaves prison, let's say at the beginning of the film or at the introduction of a character, most of the time there's someone on the outside waiting for them. Yeah. And, you know, Billy doesn't get that in this yep. film, and then, you know, we slowly begin it's, to learn why. And it's worse than that, too, because how pathetic is it that after you're released from prison, he has a legitimate reason to need to go back in for a second <laughs> to take a piss, and he can't even get back in because, according to the guard, this is the discharge gate. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like a Cohen Ex- Exit only. Yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like a Cohen Brothers line. It reminds me of the guy uh, in Inside Lewin Davis who runs the elevator, and Lewin, after he lets the cat out and he's holding on to the cat in the very like pretty much not the opening but the second opening scene and he asks the elevator operator if he could just leave the cat there with him so that way he can give it back to the Gorfines and he's like I have to run the elevator and then um, Lewin Davis is like it's it's not going to be a problem is it and he's like I have to run the elevator (laughs) like (laughs) this is the way things work Um, when it comes to the um the second to final scene because the final scene is um vincent gallo in the in the little bakery getting the hot chocolate 
Um, I pretty much agree with Al- agree with Alex here that I did take it at face value where he goes into the club. Um, we see the, I think, really well done sequence of Scott Woods and Billy getting shot. And then we see like the rotation and then the special effects that looks like um, sugar glass, yeah. <laughs> like colored sugar glass that's yeah. like stuck to their heads. Um, that's really cool. <laughs> no, for 98 and for yes. being a low budget, I will admit the freeze frame aspect of that looks better than other movies of a similar budget i will say um not always obviously because you could do it poorly and it could be horrifyingly bad but i love when films have to do creative effects Mm -hmm. Um, as like practical effects yeah, um, one of the best examples we actually saw at uh, Sundance, the year we went, which was in January or February of 2016, uh, with Swiss Army Man. Um, which it, this was at, by the way. Yeah, not in 2016. <laughs> in but, 2016! Yeah. Wow! Vincent Gallo, a lot younger. All right. <laughs> but, and that was one of the cool things about getting to see the post-film um Q&A session with the Daniels after uh, the end of Swiss Army Man, where you're basically finding out about the special effects that they did, saying, we had almost no money to do this cool scene where he was climbing up this tree, so we just had it be extremely dark, and then had Daniel Radcliffe jump on this tree at a certain point, and then just played it that way. And it's like, that's fantastic. Like, I'd way rather watch that and something inventive than some bullshit CGI that was done... By some crap studio. I was so. going to say, with CGI, you almost always instinctively can spot it, which is fine. But it also means you know instinctively how it was done. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's not, and it's practical effects, doesn't matter how cheap it is, a lot of times if you're asking yourself, well, how did they do that? Not because you think it looks so realistic, but because you know it's not possible and you know whatever. If you're asking yourself, oh, how did they do that? It doesn't matter how cheap it is, it means that they won, basically. And I think that's kind of what happened in this whatever, because I feel like they couldn't quite master an effect that would have shown an actual, you know, gun shooting, like, with the squib effect and, Mm -hmm. you know, everything, like, whatever. Uh, Especially because in the 90s, you know, to go to Sundance, you would then be competing with the likes of somebody like um, Tarantino, not competing literally in the competition, but just as what was... You're you're fighting for attention. Yeah, as to what was becoming popular. So here it's like, well, what can we do within our budget that will convey uh, the same thing, but also, uh, you know, we can do... Uh, legitimately, so. And I think it ended up looking great. I also really like a lot of the sets in this film, um, specifically uh, the feel of the dance studio and the hallway going down the dance studio. The yeah. bowling alley is fantastic. I mentioned I love the pen, uh, the pen, the pen setting, <laughs> the pin setter uh, in the bowling alley that we see on two occasions, which I just always think is just fabulous looking. Um, and then even later on in the uh, scene, uh, the very end of the film, when Vincent Gallo is purchasing the hot chocolate and the two heart-shaped cookies, um, that convenience store was great. And I love the detail that that old man who's working at the convenience store is wearing a visor for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what about the guy at Denny's, the host? Who <laughs> yeah. Has not only does he have a, a a walking cane, but he also has this weird like overdress. Dude, I'm telling you, that's 
that that that's that is Sven Gulli if he had to be <laughs> if he had to be a maitre d at a Denny's yeah. and be like. We'll be here to your table, sir. And you're like, I just really want a Grand Slam. Like, so if you could just make that happen. Is Grand Slam Denny's or IHOP? No, it's it's Denny's. Denny's. Okay. You're correct. Yeah. No worries. Good job, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Branding. Um, So, um, apart from the practical effects, I did pretty much agree with Alex. And I actually really, really enjoyed the scene at the grave site because not only is it Billy's projection of how he thinks his parents will react to him. Let's assume it's the first visit because of all those flowers, but possibly how maybe every subsequent visit could be and they would be less and less frequent. Yeah. Of course. Um, But then uh, we see kind of like the reversal um, go back into Billy um, and we see that he decides not to do it. He calls Goon slash Rocky, lets him know what's going on. And I really liked the scene in the convenience store because, one, you know that hot chocolate. It comes from that machine labeled hot chocolate. It's going to be really good. (laughs) Those cookies... Don't actually look that good to me, but I know they look good to a lot of people. <laughs> I also really like, um, actually, one of um, Billy's better lines of dialogue, I actually think, of the film. And, I don't know, I just was tickled by this. But um, when the gentleman at the convenience store <laughs> is tabulating up what he owes and ends up being $4 and. I don't remember exactly what Billy says, but he says something like, come on, make it fair, make it, or something like that. <laughs> well, as he's, like, typing it in, which yeah. is only, like, three items or something, yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, man, go easy on me, go easy on but, me. But but that's the thing. It's like he's he's putting together charges for, like, I don't know, pi- purchasing a car, and he's yeah. purchasing a, a large hot chocolate and two heart-shaped cookies, uh, and he's like, $4, he's like, $4, like, <laughs> and like well, even... you bought the other cookie. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, like, like, oh man! And I also like the idea of—I I always love the idea of haggling over price of uh, cheaply priced items. Yeah, because randomly, uh, one of my really random jobs when I was younger, I worked at this store called The Great Indoors. Ah. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Nope. Yeah, it was open for like I don't know, like six or seven years, and it went out of business. But it was really just a store that was trying because to because you left. <laughs> yes, that's what that's what did it. You were the yeah. linchpin. It, that's true. That, that <laughs> one summer that I worked at the Great Indoors, uh, right after that, it well, all went. What a huge domino effect! <laughs> I do love though that when I started at the Great Indoors, um, my training my first day, and I I appreciate that they said the quiet part out loud because. <laughs> They were like, what, we something are racist? <laughs> no, but they're like, well... I appreciate we... that they said the quiet part out loud. Well, no, but, but, but they said we serve whites only. <laughs> they did tell me the first day, and I remember this clear as day, that their target market is rich white women, and that's who they are trying to get into the store. Oh, okay, so I was actually cl- was, that's closer what than I thought actually, I was unfortunately actually, actually pretty much... Correct. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that story? Shit. How you training on your first day endorse that idea? 
cheaply priced items. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, a, a family came in one day, and uh, we had a toaster that was on sale uh, for like $11. And they came in, and they, they wanted to take the toaster apart and see the inner workings of this machine. And I was like... Why? Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, like, like... And it was like a man... His wife and like four children, oh, and like they they were this going. This is a family affair. For I this was going to say it is a family decision on if they are going to purchase this ten ninety nine toaster, and the fact after why does it looks feel at, like you had a job back in like the fifties? <laughs> it's true. Well, well, again, this this, this store. Well, a, Robbie, you have a nickel for us because we have to add it to the pot. We're getting a toaster this weekend. <laughs> If they have a sale. Anyways, so this guy then afterwards starts trying to haggle with me on price. He's like, well, can you do any better than that? I'm like, it's ten ninety nine. I didn't know that's what, it's, that's, what it's, that's what it's on sale for. I don't know to say. People will haggle anything. It's so I work at a though. library where shit is free. Okay? And when you cure fines, for example... Every November, we allow you to delete your fines if you bring in a can of fucking soup. I mean, it's just because we do like a November uh, food drive, you know. Mm -hmm. We don't care. We don't have any limit on what you can bring. It just has to be non-perishable. A soup, you know, a box of whatever. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. And sometimes people are like, like, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like January or something. And they get a fine. And it's not blocking their account. It's just on their account. And they're like, yeah, uh, I've got a can of soup. Like, well, we're not accepting that until November. So, I mean, you can just, you know, hold on to it. Or, well, I've got it now. I know, but, like, we have no, like, we, we're not doing a food drive. So we have nowhere to put that. And also, you're going to be able to check out things anyway. So you're not being impeded in any way. Yeah, but that makes no sense. If you do it in November, you should be able to do it now. And I'm, I mean, it's just like, obviously, it's not quite haggling. But it's just like the idea that somehow people are being... Why don't you have Black Friday sales? Yeah. It's June, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why can't we have white friday sales <laughs> but um, might as well call it white jack <laughs> oh, man. hello frank no oh, bernie mac so R-A-P. playing the race card that's that, that that's good. so great mm-hmm. what are you gonna say Anna? i was just gonna say um i like the way that this film uh concluded and even like it just sucks because i think the scene in the convenience store is so good and when vincent gallo at least acts like he's somewhat being a little bit nicer um than what he was previously he's so tolerable but it's not even like a 180 it's not like a full redemption it's like a 45 degree he's still obnoxious yes he's still obnoxious because that's like the core of his personality but he's putting that energy somewhere else oh yeah he is putting that energy elsewhere and like being around someone who is that obnoxious they really do like flip like a switch like if definitely if he like tripped over his shoelace he'll be just like back to screaming at people again so Absolutely. or I berating feel, them you I, know? I feel like he's destined to just be a low-level con man for the rest of his days absolutely oh, yeah for sure mm. um anyways um before we move on yeah. i did tell you guys that i wanted to mention mm-hmm. a somewhat embarrassing story about this film uh from my younger days yeah. so um I was at Hollywood Video, 
Uh, do you remember Hollywood Video? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. of course. Okay, so I was at the Hollywood Video uh, that we went to often because that was our video store of choice at the time. And they had Buffalo 66 and they had multiple copies because it was, you know, a new release. So, I mean, the, I, I was really young. I mean, I was 11 or 12 or however yeah. old I was at the time. And being that age... I told my father I really wanted to rent this movie, <laughs> and he asked why, and I started just making up some bullshit. The real reason was because... You're a big I... Vincent Gallo fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The real reason is because of Christina's Re... Christina Ricci's cleavage on the cover of, of the box, and I was just like, uh, 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 this looks really... Uh, it's about Buffalo, and like, yeah. just making up nonsense. It's got numbers in it. And my dad, I remember my dad looking at it and then like reading the plot line he's like we're not gonna rent this <laughs> so uh, you know what yeah. he probably made the right choice you know what and i do feel like my parents uh were, were always looking out for me and and i feel like i was usually like oh okay that's fine <laughs> but and i was not like you can't do that i really want to see this but oh man oh man that though that's great i, just I thinking did that back, a lot though what's that well in the video store like uh, wanting to see this because it was rated R, and because I must have heard that there was something in it, and being like, "Hey, uh, we should uh, we should rent this." You wouldn't like it, but I've heard good things about it, and I I'll might... watch this by myself at yeah. two a.m. <laughs> and then they were like, "No, <laughs> yeah," and that's you know that's that's parenting. So yeah. yeah, but yeah, I man, I just remember Hollywood Video because I was thinking about this randomly last night. I was like, "That's right, that happened," and now and like it just explosion yeah. back to all of the random faces that were around the top of it um all of the rows of videos and video games uh in that store and just thinking back to how horribly that that video store was run uh and how almost it was a good 50 percent of the tapes had some issue with them yeah. when you were trying to watch them even if they were new releases yeah. oh man i remember the biggest back in the day <laughs> the biggest success story i've ever seen with a trying to rent something that my parents didn't want. didn't happen to me, but to my brother. Mm-hmm. He was, for some weird reason, obsessed with wanting to see The Mummy uh, with uh, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. And he was old enough to see it, but my parents, well, my mom, pretty much, because she was in charge, <laughs> uh, was not really into horror movies, uh, understandably. And she thought The Mummy was like a horror movie, which it really isn't. It's more of Indiana Jones type, you know, whatever. But yeah. she, you know, she didn't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so my brother was probably like 12 and really wanting to see it. And she was like, nah, you know, like, no, you know, maybe in a year, whatever. And I, the same day when he was told no, wanted to see the movie Muppets in Space. Uh Uh-huh. And so I rented that. They put the mummy in Muppets in Space because M-U-M-M-U-P, like, it must have been accidentally, because you bring the box up, but it wasn't in there, and then they grab whatever, and they grab the wrong thing. And I remember when I opened up Muppets in Space, and I saw what it was, and my brother was, must have been standing right there, and he was like, don't tell mom. Like, it was <laughs> like, and I had no interest in watching The Mummy, but I felt like I should be a good brother or whatever. Anyway, I just remember that being, like, a sign from God. I have a real <laughs> question. Yes. Did you ever see Muppets in Space? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, I saw Muppets in Space in theater. I thought and... it was fantastic. I mean, I was like seven, you know. <laughs> but... I was going to say, I was at like the end of the 
Muppet. I mean, I was older, but I was at the like the the end of like even like considering going to watch a Muppet movie in theater and being like, yeah, that's stupid. But I really enjoyed going to see the Muppet Christmas Carol with my brother, oh, yeah. and I enjoyed going to see Muppet Treasure Island in the theater, whatever. So I remember going to see it and being like. Were they all this bad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, they weren't, and that yeah. one was the worst. Uh, <laughs> I feel like everyone has that gray period of the Muppets where you grow up watching the Muppets, and then for like a year, maybe, you think you're old, Outgrown. too old, because you think the Muppets whatever, and then it's like only a year or so before you snap out of that and you remember that the Muppets are actually great, and then you continue to watch the Muppets for the rest of your life. Yeah, but. except for that weird... Uh, late night Muppet show they tried to do, which was a huge mess. So yeah, I never watched any of that. Unfortunately, good for you. Yeah, good for you. I'm proud. I mean, it's too bad because genuinely, maybe the greatest thing they ever did was on television with the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never captured that again. Just but. the reality is, once Jim Henson was gone, the whole thing really just went down the tubes. I thought the 2009. Muppets movie 2010. Yeah, I mean, was actually, it wasn't bad. Okay. The sequel to that was terrible. I, never I thought. Watched that. <laughs> oh, man. Good so for I you. still have like a, a rosy memory of like they tried and, yeah. you know, whatever. But uh, but anyway. Okay. Moving back to the film we're actually talking about. <laughs> I was going yeah. to say the yeah. amount of used video games I bought at GameStop where oh, they accidentally yeah. put in the wrong disc yeah. is, you know, very prevalent. It had to have happened more than 50% of the time. Oh, wow. And um, GameStop are you going not, Apparently not a very good one. And then they closed, like, the closer ones around it. Uh, so that one ended up being, like, which is still around. That yeah. that one oh, was yeah. my go-to. And granted, I don't really go yeah, in there yeah. anymore. Anyway, um, growing up, my video store was uh, Blockbuster. I don't have any specific memories other than maybe how it looked and how it smelled um (laughs) but once we moved i did have a hollywood video near me before (laughs) it turned into a dental office and Uh, i think maybe i only went into that hollywood video once ever so yeah fair before they closed so yeah i am the the one movie i remember renting in blockbuster uh i i went to blockbuster i'm in a local video store that mm-hmm. wasn't a franchise but the one movie i remember like distinctly of like seeing a vhs cover and going i don't know what this is and i'd like to watch it and you know like where you had that moment sure of, like yeah. sure let's bring this home tonight. back back in the day when you yeah. could could do that <laughs> yeah. was the fisher king Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, and that was one of the most random, and that's why I hadn't watched it until we rewatched it. Probably since then, oh, and okay. I remember I liked it a lot. But I can it understand was, you having an affinity even more for that movie yeah. because of the situation. That was uh, that was one of those like finding it on the shelf and feeling like you've discovered something or whatever. Yeah, those days are over. Oh god, aren't they? But anyway, right. Buffalo '66. Should we go into final ratings? Yeah, it sounds good. All right. Um, I'll go first. Sure. Why not? So, again, I, I was hot and cold on this movie and, and probably leaning a little more against it. Uh, I still think I'm going to give this a two and a half out of five after the discussion we've had. Um, it, even though I, I definitely don't think this was very great, um, some of the discussion we've had and thinking a little more after a first viewing, I do think there is some value in a lot of parts of this film uh, in that on their own, in in their own separate scene form, um, there's some some good heart in this film and some interesting takes on 
different parts of humanity that we don't see in the usual run-of-the-mill Hollywood film. Uh, so, for that, I-, I enjoyed it. On the other side, I think Vincent Gallo is a real big piece of shit. And he actually kind of reminds me of somebody like Tony Wiseau, who thinks he's really talented, but actually he's not. Tommy Wiseau. Oh, okay, see, you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Tony, Tommy, whatever. It's 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 someone who's not worth anyone's time. Anyways, uh, that's the that's the feeling I get about Vincent Gallo. Like his music, his politics, his films. It doesn't matter because to me, he's just a no talent ass clown. So there it is. That being said, uh, I did enjoy parts of this film, um, but at the same time, so. Uh, two and a half out of five for me for the Christina Ricci led <laughs> Buffalo sixty six. Um, okay, so my rating is also two and a half out of five. Um, the elements that I did like just didn't save this film for mm-hmm. me. Um, the things I think I'm just going to remember the most are um, some of the visual effects I have brought up before, um, and then also I I will say I am. A sucker for like really low budget shots of like regular people doing regular stuff like just hanging out in the house having a super uncomfortable dinner with your parents um talking on a corded phone in a room with an ugly bedspread can like, we talk to yeah. that you uh that you mentioned the uh random clock in the background with the oh, football yeah. player that's right. with the clock as the head yes Man, that, was that was something that's so funny and i i think i definitely pick up like looking at uh interior decoration in uh films from my mom because randomly we'll be watching something and she'll be like Man, that I sounds lo- that sounds like a christmas <laughs> gift she like <laughs> she'll I, be like i love those cabinets <laughs> like yeah, it's going to be really random when, like, you guys are exchanging Christmas gifts this year in, you know, the year of COVID, and your mom's like, a Buffalo Bill's head clock. And you're what? like, well, it's about time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't know. This was really hard to find. It'll yes. be replacing the clock I, I got this from a guy her. named Vincent. <laughs> Save the clock tower. I don't know why. I, it'll be replacing the clock I got her for her birthday last year. So. <laughs> <laughs> Time uh, after time. <laughs> yeah, and that was so random, but that was, again, that was such a good detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, it it was. And it also was weirdly focused on, too. Just kind of like the... Um, yeah, it was like central. The uh, the, the focus on the being a, a, a donor, uh, that billboard that keeps focusing in on... Well, uh, when you give people. someone your heart. Yeah. Oh, wow. I also wanted <laughs> I also wanted to say I feel like um when first time feature films for done um are created by certain people they kind of feel like to some degree a little bit of a bigger budget than what you would do as like a senior thesis in film school and I feel like that's the energy that I get from this um so uh going off of what pretty much both of you said i think we all agree in unison here vincent gallo just doesn't seem like this kind of guy for me you know um 
definitely the least likable person. Um, maybe second to his own mother, who says he doesn't. Even, she doesn't even love him. So <laughs> ugh, yeah. that was really harsh to hear. Um, she looked like Angelica Houston too. <laughs> Just a little bit. That was pretty good. That was. I'm not gonna let that one go. Well, no. I mean, it it is nice to have someone make two sant comments when he's not here. That is true. So, yeah. oh wow. Uh, <laughs> no, that's definitely something you would say. Man, she looks a lot like Angelica Houston. That is. What's that? Although I will give him credit. <laughs> <laughs> that whole phenomenon reached its apex during Before the Devil Knows uh, You're Dead when he was actually right. But because it would have been a lifetime of him saying, like, oh, that's this person. No, it's not. And he had named, oh, that's who plays Ant. <laughs> have, you, have you heard the story? Oh, no. That was, oh. It was so confusing and so great. Okay, so in the <laughs> movie Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, um, the the woman... Who's in Spider-Man? Who plays Aunt May? Aunt May, yeah. um, like Toby, Toby McGuire Spider-Man. Yeah. Toby McGuire, the old lady with white hair. The, the old lady is, yes. is, is is in the film. Yeah, but Marissa Tomei is also in the film. Both yes. Aunt May's Aunt May's cinematic universe. No, no, yes. no okay. it, it, it's really important. Okay. that they are are. I, I don't think they were in a scene together, but they were. No, they were. Oh, That's they why were. I got confusing okay. because. Okay. The only scene, but, but they but, showed yeah, up yeah. to that to the school at the same time, yeah. and he was like, "Oh, it's Aunt May," and then we were like, "No, that's uh, Sally Field," <laughs> or we. I think I thought that I don't know, but it got very confusing. That's- well, it, it, he he said we we were saying yes, it was Aunt May to, to oh. one yeah. Wait a minute. Okay. That was okay. That's why it was doubly confusing. Okay. The moment. A twist is revealed in mm-hmm. that movie because to know who somebody's mother is is a twist in that film. Mm-hmm. And she literally walks, and this is the character played by the woman who played Aunt May in the Tobey Maguire movie. When she walks into the scene and she says, hi, boys, like to her son, and you realize that their mother is that person, all of a sudden, Toussaint goes, oh, Aunt May! <laughs> and because me and Alex were slightly confused... And because this was a twist, and you had seen her in the movie prior, so it's like if you had figured out she was Aunt May, you would have figured it out <laughs> earlier, and yet here's a huge twist that you're ignoring, and we just assumed that he was talking about Marissa Tomei, and we're like, yeah, that's been a, like established, but you're now missing the twist. That, and he's like, no, it's Aunt May. He's like, yeah, we get that, but and it, it was like going back and forth, and he's like, no, that's Aunt May, and I'm like, yeah, that's Aunt May, and then we figured it out, and we're like, oh, you mean that's Aunt May, too. Anyway, it was very, but the fact that he responded to that instead of like, Oh wow! They robbed their own mother's jewelry store, uh, which is not really a spoiler. That's like in the first twenty minutes, you know. It's pretty good. That's a good film. It's a great movie. It's a good film. If you ever get a chance, okay, uh, it's, it's it's fantastic. It, it's but, pretty solid. But anyway, I don't know if you got the <laughs> name wrong a moment ago, but you said Probably. Sally Field. Like Sally Field was also Aunt May. No, <laughs> okay, that was a thing I didn't get wrong because okay. <laughs> I was getting slightly confused because Toussaint, I love him, gets a lot of people wrong, and for some weird reason. I thought he thought who who was in the shot or something was Sally Field. And I'm like, that's not Sally Field. So it's like three different Aunt Mays. Two of them were present. One of them wasn't. And because he's Tucson, I assume that not only did he get it wrong, but he was talking about the one Aunt May that wasn't even in the scene. So it, it was just like a weird clusterfuck of like... <laughs> Of, of just yeah proportions, yeah. but um, anyway. so she was Aunt May in the Andrew Garfield. Yes, yes. yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, and, and Jamie Foxx is coming back to play the same character? Evidently. Apparently. I think that's going to be like a J.K. Simmons thing. Mm, I think that's we'll going to be like a, oh, look, he's in two seconds. But Now, um, is that is that going to be a... It, it's Because it's going to be a Spider-Verse type thing, right? I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> The the gentleman brought up how when Angelica Houston showed up in this film, I said, that looks a lot like Angelica Houston, but I didn't get a chance to finish my thought before Nick said, it is. I said, that looks like... A I'm just com- so used to two <laughs> no, <it's> okay. <laughs> I was trying to say that looks a lot like Angelica Houston and Chicago Party Ant, which is like a very regional and specific thing. But for anyone listening, I suggest you check that out on Twitter. Um, and then you'll know what I mean. But uh, yeah, I say um, things like that watching movies all the time. So no, that that that's so. oh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> okay. I mean, just so you know, I, I, I just I just the timing of it was just too good because Nick was like right now like I it guess, is. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I did not wanna... waste like a second. I don't know why I was like I, I wouldn't even say I jumped on it or anything. But like for some weird reason, it was almost scripted where you were like that looks like Angelica Houston. It is. I and also I like, didn't oh. want to talk over the dialogue, so like I think I also paused. <laughs> didn't want to talk over the dialogue. I paused over them, whatever she was saying. Like, yes. oh, who is it? My son, my only child. That's fair. Yeah. So anyway, two and a half stars for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I give this four and a half out of five. Oh. I think it's fantastic. I, you know, it came out in 1998. It is basically I kind of mentioned this while we were watching, but it's a precursor to a really bad and annoying trend in indie cinema from this point on, especially during the uh, aughts where, uh, like Garden State, Elizabeth Town, and a lot of others, where these weird, you know, despondent white guys find this, you know, as Nathan Raven from the AV Club uh, coined, manic pixie dream girl, basically, these women who just don't exist in real life, uh, who essentially become their savior, but only by virtue of them telling them that they are great and that they are wonderful and whatnot. And what I like about Buffalo 66 is that in the movies that it kind of inspired, they they almost go out of their way to try to make those characters be quote unquote, like nice guys and like, you know, whatever. Whereas at least Buffalo 66, uh, even if it's in spite of itself, even if it's almost on accident is pulling no punches that not only is this a fantasy but if a if a guy was involved in this kind of transaction they would they're just the biggest asshole you know and that um the whole love conquers all thing is is technically an almost especially written and directed from that male point of view becomes this weird bastardization of the male gaze where it goes beyond just the sexualization of women but also into this realm of uh that they are these like pygmies where they swoop in and they are you know they have no agency and they're whatever so all of that sounds like i would obviously hate something like this but at least i admire that vincent gallo in spite of himself uh, made something that, in my opinion, is almost accidentally beautiful. Because in the movies that came in its wake, there was a lot of, like, um, in my opinion, troubling uh, depictions of the situation where guys were... Ass- 
essentially let off the hook for this shit. Whereas I think if you watch something like Buffalo 66 and you see these, you know, these effects like the uh, spotlight or even the way he uh, overlays some of the video flashbacks over the screen or even like the weird uh, way he conveys passage of time at the dinner table where he keeps fading to black like every four to five seconds or whatever. Like this is a playful film visually to the point where it is almost phantom magorific. So it's like a weird fantasy and I feel like at the end of the day, I don't take it so seriously as a literal thing. And obviously that is on me because Vincent Gallo in real life is a horrible person. So part of me is probably looking the other way. I'm not going to, you know, dispute that. But part of me is also a romantic and every once in a while something that comes along that says everyone deserves love will almost always speak to me. So I, I, I think it's pretty great, and I never care to see any of his other movies. <laughs> um, and so I never probably will. I mean, maybe one day, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've seen a lot worse. Uh, but this is one of those things where it's like after the first time I watched it, I was both super impressed and kind of overwhelmed, but also I knew that I had reached my limit of Vincent Gallo, even within his own first and debut film so it's not so much that i think he is fantastic so much as 1998 vincent gallo was a convergence of you know cinematic alchemy where the right director and the right asshole was in the right time to make a movie that um not only quote-unquote would not get made today because i hate to almost say that like oh this is before you know whatever but should not get made today. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's it's of its time, but it's also of somebody's brain. And a lot of times, if I think that something is so etched into somebody's own voice, that that can kind of propel it to the forefront of me, uh, I don't know, connecting with it, at least in an earnest way, because at least they're being honest about it. So, uh, four and a half out of five for me for Buffalo 66. I feel like it's a very entrancing and uh, lyrical <laughs> odyssey of how love conquers all. Well put. Thank you. Okay. Well, if you out there have any thoughts on Buffalo 66 or any other Vincent Gallo works, um, I guess you can send it out to us, Film Tank Show. We probably won't watch any of the other ones. But. No, but it'll be interesting to hear other people's opinions on him. Uh, as again, I, I don't really have much to work with other than what I've heard about him throughout my life and in, in from this film. But yeah, so uh, you can always also find our episodes on FilmTankShow.com. You can also find them on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or also on Spotify or in other places. Um, where podcasts are listed. And you can try to find us, and maybe in the new year, um, for at least a couple weeks, we'll try to be active on Facebook and Twitter at Film Tank Show. So, from Anna Bodizadu, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for joining us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time.